Hello and welcome back to Interface. This is the monthly podcast, especially for education professionals all about the digital world. If you're an educator, we are here to help you support the children and young people around you so you can play a part in keeping them safe, confident and happy in all that they do online. Happy New Year! January is a time when people often reflect on the past year and try to make positive changes for your year ahead. Maybe you or the young people in your life were glued to your phones too much last year. Maybe you noticed your students falling asleep in class after having been up gaming all night. And some online spaces can be hostile or competitive environments, leaving us feeling overwhelmed or insecure. Some young people, and not so young, go through cycles of burnout and deactivating everything. In this episode, we're talking about well-being online. Kath Nibs is with us to get to the root of the issue. And as ever, we'll give practical advice for educators. Just before we launch into the conversation with Kath, here is a little New Year's challenge for you to do at home or with your students, um, the digital declutter. I don't know if you've ever done that. The idea is you go through your device, go through your phone, look at the apps that you've got there and do a bit of a clear out. What's working for you? What isn't? And it's not just about, it would be things like how much time do you spend, but also what's the impact on your mental well-being as well. So it's about being purposeful with technology. Great little activity you can do. And actually, if you're working with young people, you can start to have those conversations about what apps are actually useful for them in terms of mental well-being. So things like music, audiobooks, drawing apps, even coaching apps, sleep aids, all these kind of things. How can children use technology to really support their mental well-being? Uh, in terms of other resources available for you, you can now always have a look at Project Evolve. The health, well-being and lifestyle strand has got lots of resources in there for working with young people. Oh, and check out the Digital Wellbeing Hub at the SWGFL website. There's loads on there. Advice for schools about supporting young people and information on settings in, in common apps as well. There's loads there. So take a look. So I am Kath Nibs. I have lots of different kinds of jobs which all amalgamate to my knowledge around e-safety kind of issues. So I'm a child and adult trauma psychotherapist. I'm an author. I'm a consultant. I'm a researcher. I'm in the middle of a PhD and recently a TEDx speaker. Hi Kath, welcome to the podcast. Lovely to have you. Um, I was just wondering, what are your New Year's resolutions tech-wise? To tell you the truth, Elish, I don't make any at all because it's an ongoing work in progress, mainly because it depends on what the tech is and what's coming up. So at the moment, I'm very busy getting things ready for uh, 2023 as we go through 2023. But I don't know what's coming. I know VR is changing very, very quickly. So I haven't made any resolutions just yet. And again, it's a it's one of those learning curves, work in progress, all of the glib sentences. Do you ever think of like limiting down certain apps you use? Like, is there any some that you're like, oh, I spend far too much time on here and I need to cut down a bit? Or is it you have to kind of go for everything at once? No, I'm actually somebody who engages in purposeful uh, use of technology. So I have specific times when I look at emails, specific times, because because I have to in terms of the books that I've been writing. And in order to do the best that I can when it comes to writing and getting into what they call flow, so that there's a lot of neuroscience behind that, I tend to have a very purposeful use of technology. Now, that doesn't mean to say that I'm not like 
many people using technology and can sometimes pick up my phone and do that multi-screening where I'm watching TV on an I, evening. I do that and, all the time. I'm so yeah. bad for that. Kath, I had no idea. You like, I'm struggling with that. <laughs> Constantly multitasking. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm, I, I read all those books and I listen to all those people that go, you should manage your time and you should have a time in the day when you just do email and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and, and I think, oh, these are all great ideas. And then I never do them. It does feel a little bit like overzealous self-discipline, but there's also something about, I know I can be distracted. Mm-hmm. So for me, what I tend to do is specify, you know, for example, I'm going to write the next chapter of my book. I'm going to do between this hour and this hour. And then I make sure, so I sometimes use software, sometimes move phones out of the way, mainly because the research says, so there is a piece of research that suggests even having a phone present, whether it's turned on or turned off, is enough to keep you distracted. Yeah, I've read that. Now, much of my work around this comes from that need to be in conversation and relationship. And for me, that's usually what being in, and I'm doing that air quotes thing, in the device is usually about its communication. It's not all about the dopamine hits. It's it's about, well, what happens if somebody that I uh, admire or I'm in a relationship with that you might be missing out on a conversation? So this is not fear of missing out, as it's often stated in the research. It's the draw to be in an attachment. So we, that's what we talk about. It's an attachment. Yeah, I completely get that. As soon as if I'm doing like uni work and if I see maybe one notification on my phone, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll get around to it. But if I see like multiple come through at once, I'm like, I have to. I'll stop everything I'm doing and feel like I need to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is. I need to figure find out what it is first. And it, then I just get completely derailed from whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And then I just end up just staying on my phone for the like, a good hour. The thing about the adolescent brain, so if we think about secondary school, that's usually the prompt where the brain begins to change. And during that process, there's lots lots of different things that happen. But one of them is peers become more important than the adults around them. And sadly, the rate of information in terms of bits per second that teachers present is rather slow compared to how fast it goes on technology because you're used to going click, 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 click. Yeah, we've t- I'm sure I've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I, I watch and listen to everything on either one and a half or double speed. Yes. Get through it, get through it, get the key points, move on. Mm-hmm. I, I do that with films. I'll skip through if it's like just... Do you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Honest, honestly, like, <laughs> lecture, lectures, film. films, TV, if it's just like a bit too slow, like I'll just skip it 10 seconds maybe, see if it just yeah. budges it along a bit. Do you know, you just rem- I went to a conference recently and I hadn't been to one for ages and it was boring. Mm. And I sat there and I was like quite happy because I'd, sl- I'd sat at the side, right, right at the side, and I could look at my phone. Isn't that terrible? Oh, well, reveal all on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing you're making me think of, then presumably we start to get into, into issues of behaviour mm-hmm. in class, right? If people are bored. Well, I mean, behaviour is a form of communication. So when a child, and this might be helpful for the, the teachers, is when a child starts to become fidgety or they seem to, uh, and I used to notice this if I ever went into the schools, is there's this slight hunch forward of the shoulders and I know that that means that they've now got a device in their hands. <laughs> Boredom <laughs> comes as a uh, direct reflection of the information is either not emotive, 
and I'm not connecting with it or it's irrelevant to me and what what I need in this moment. So for a lot of teachers, they have the curriculum and they have to teach the curriculum. But I, I often find that the children say, but there's, there's that little bit lacking and it's that bit outside of the box thinking that often, often, you know, that's what I find particularly in the adult education sector. Does that resonate with you, Ailish? Is that your experience of kind of formal education? Yeah, I, I feel like, like, especially at high school, there were certain classes that you just, you just gravitate towards, you just like more, you, you want to engage with them because you enjoy what you're learning about. And then there's things like, maths and English where it's just if you're not good at it it, you don't have the urge to engage as much and so it's you find yourself just kind of dropping off a bit I I lost count of the amount of times I zoned out in maths Mm. because it was just it wasn't like it was an interesting exciting it wasn't like drama or something like that where you could be creative it was very much like step by step this is what you have to do so it's I guess it again just depends on your preference for like what your interests are so what about addressing then th- this idea of how do we support young people or young teachers to be more purposeful with tech and maybe to expand attention span? Yeah, I think sometimes it's the explanation of how the technology works, its intent. So more often than not, children don't like to hear that they have been manipulated by the algorithms and by the mm. tech Um, I don't think anybody likes to hear that because it's almost like you've been conned by the con artist. If I told you that this particular platform is using your adolescent brain and they're using it in this particular way to manipulate you, to get information out of you, a lot of the time I find that the younger people are like, oh, really? Well, that can stop. (laughs) And then they go about their they go about their daily business like, well, they're not taking my data without my permission and they're not taking my attention. Yeah. Now, more recently, I sat with a little, so I've got children as young as four and five in the clinic. And one of them said to me, oh, could we look for dinosaurs on the internet? And he was faster than my eyes could track when he was trying to open up YouTube. And he knew which buttons how to swipe, how to maximise the screen, how to skip forward. And this is at four, four and a half years of age. So when when I say let's start with the children, I think let's start with the younger children. So more like primary school age, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nursery. I, I came I saw something recently and it was a it was a parent complaining online about the fact that they, they didn't use devices at home, but their child was in nursery and was having an iPad foisted on them and being asked to use. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a yeah. dilemma there, right? So in terms of the children in the classroom who come from separated families, blended families, looked after families, families where children are in residentials, um, and also some families place rules around, I don't want my child to be using X technology that's then used within a classroom setting. So we've we've got a little bit of a contradiction at the moment about mm. what we're using, how we're using it, what what limitations we put on it. And I'm not talking about screen time here. I'm talking about the limitations of, I don't want my child playing first person shooters, you know, and that's that's a parenting choice. And yet, if little Billy goes round to, I don't know, little Tommy's and, you know, little Tommy is playing a first-person shooter, what right does that parent have to ask the other parent 
What computer games have you got? How long do you let your children on them? What kind of uh, contacts do they have online? And certainly, even asking the school, what do you actually allow the children on and how do you protect them? Mm. What are the kind of key things then that educators need to know? What can they do? What's the practicalities for them? Well, certainly... um, I mean, when I'm when I'm talking to my clients in therapy or, or when I'm talking to, for example, the counsellors, one of the things is that I always send them to the e-safety websites, uh, Southwest Grid being one of them, to go and learn about what technological tools they can use to keep the children safe within the classroom. But also, pretty much the advice I give for everything is conversations, conversations, conversations. We need to talk with our students we need to talk with the other members of staff we need to talk with people outside of the um, sector because the only way we can grasp what's going on with the online spaces at the moment is by having these conversations and sadly I find that teachers get often a specific type of online safety training online safety trainers are in the mix and coming across all of the difficult issues And we're spending time trying to create tools to help educate. And in the meantime, the parents are sitting at home saying, don't tell me how to parent. I will buy my children what I want. It's my house. I think this is okay because what we don't have at the moment is enough research. We don't have enough education for the adults in terms of... Now, it might not be a Netflix documentary, but let's just pretend that it is a a Netflix documentary showing what happens to brain development, attachment styles, child development. That's that's the kind of thing that would help parents in a non-trivialising, non-problematising, non-condescending way. And at the moment, I find that the difficulty sits in that chasm of teachers want to teach the online safety. Quite often, it's left to other services to come in and do those lessons. And sometimes teachers are not paying attention when, you know, for example, an e-safety teacher is in there. They're marking books at the back of the classroom Mm. versus the parents who don't read the information that comes from the teachers. So I think at the moment it's about communication And we can't have what I call the finger pointing issue, which is parents saying, well, it's technology's problem. Technology saying it's uh, teachers. Teachers saying, well, it's the social media companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, just going round and round. Absolutely. I sometimes wonder when you talk about the kind of research and are there any messages or things that educators are doing which actually are incorrect you know that there's myths there's um things that we're doing that are actually wrong when you look at the evidence so the the word wrong doesn't doesn't sit with me we can only do the best that we can with the tools that we have okay so Mm -hmm. the the addiction model is often used because a it's easy to um outsource well it's because of the technology and it's because it's created to make it addictive therefore people find it addictive whereas I I will say, well, you have to look at the modus operandi. Why is that child using that particular piece of technology? What are they doing there? Why are they there? Who are they talking to? What does that meet in terms of a need? Mm. Those are the questions that certainly come up in in terms of children who have been exploited, uh, you know, all of the kinds of problems that the online harms bill is um, going to address. She says, fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I think teachers can only go with what material they're sent and they can only go with what they know. Compassion, empathy and relational connection 
are the ways to understand what's happening with technology because nothing that we do, even even if we are sitting at home, I don't know, let's say playing a game on our phone by ourselves, actually for a child there is motivation in that particular playing of the game to go in and be able to talk to their friends in school tomorrow. Oh, I got to level seven. Where are you at? Mm-hmm. So the the activity presupposes the conversation, which is about connection and relationships. Yeah, drivers, right? Yeah, we very rarely do anything in isolation. This is Interface, a podcast for educators about digital and online life from the Southwest Grid for Learning. We'll be back with our excellent guests in just a minute. The Interface podcast is all about keeping children, young people and education communities safe, happy and confident in everything relating to technology and online life. And the other thing to know is that SWGFL, the people behind Interface, have a whole host of support, tools and resources. We also have a number of helplines available. One of these is POSH, the Professionals Online Safety Helpline, which is open to any educators and professionals who need support with an online safety issue. Give us a call. Thanks, Jess. And not only that, schools and other organisations can download the Report Harmful Content button to add to their website to support any user over the age of 13 in reporting anything they experience online that they find harmful or worrying. Also, take a look at our 360-degree safe tools. These tools support a comprehensive, whole-school approach to online safety. There's also Project Evolve, an educational toolkit to support digital competency in children and young people. There is a lot available, and it's free. Free is always good, and you're right, Jess, it is a lot. And I appreciate it's a lot for you to take in listening like this. So don't worry if you've been scrabbling around for a pen or you're not sure where the pause or rewind buttons are. You can find all of this information online at swgfl.org.uk and you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at swgfl underscore official. Also, we've put all the links you need in the show notes for the Interface series that you'll find in your podcast player. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Jess Macbeth with Ailish Hunter. This is what I'm seeing is most of the research is done in a quantitative way, but it's quarter, half of the story. I'm sure I'm sure Elise would say that, you know, just because she ticked a box about how many hours she was using the internet every day doesn't say what she was doing there or God, what. I see what... that question everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I don't know why we're still asking that. It's because it's a quantitative question and we can say X number of hours. Uh, so I'm going to go on slight on a uh, cyber trauma uh, skew here. If we think about the online space as a public park, Elise goes in the top gate and it happens to be a very beautiful... So there's unicorns, poodles, um, kittens, and, oh, brilliant. As she spends two hours there, Alicia's going to have a very different experience compared to me if I go in the bottom gate of the public park and that's where all of the the uh, criminal activity is. But I'm only there for 10 minutes. But what I see in that 10 minutes is far, far, far more traumatic than what Alicia's seeing by going in. So it, it is what we're doing and where we're going, but it isn't how long we're spending the time on there. Yeah. So if there was, say, there was like a teacher was planning like a, a school assembly or something next week about wellness, is, just, is your main point just communication? It has to be awareness and communication with all branches of young people's life 
teachers, parents, carers, everything like that. Is that like your main? Yeah. Let's go with um, uh, Internet Safety Day this year is uh, Safer Internet Day even is is all about kind of the relationships and being kind online. Well, let's learn what kindness is. And if we're going to do an assembly and you work in a school that's in a low socioeconomic status area, there's probably not going to be a lot of kindness in a space and time where the cost of living is increasing. Uh, There's competition for resources and those children might well be living in lots of domestic abuse situations. So that school would need to deliver a slightly different assembly to that where children are in a more prevalent relational space, for example. And again, some of the messages that we deliver are don't do this, don't say that, do this, rather than how would it be if you saw this? What would this be like? And that's the difference between directing and conversation. Okay, that is just about the language then. It is. It's about your tone, your language, how you approach the situation rather than... Mm -hmm. Because I remember whenever we got talks like that in school about internet safety, it was like, don't send um, an explicit picture because then it'll get sent about and then you'll be upset. And instead, it should be like, this this is what could happen. This is why you should mm-hmm. be more careful and respectful and consent and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it, mm-hmm. before it was very much like, don't, 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 don't do this because then it's just, you're going to be upset. Yeah. So that, there's there's a lovely theory called nonviolent communication and... Um, it's, it's a really nice way of being able to talk to people rather than saying you and pointing the finger, it's I. So rather than don't, which is seen as a demand or a command, you will get no compliance whatsoever. We know this. It, it, this has been, We're not learning from history. We know that don'ts and do nots mm. and can'ts and musts are very rarely followed, especially by those that have got the same personality type as me, which is a rebellious child that goes, oh, really? How can I get around that? <laughs> To make that something that I could actually do that doesn't technically break the must, don't or do, for example. And that's that's the adolescent changes is what can I do to navigate this that are about risk taking, bending the rules, not necessarily. I mean, some some are uh, directly about breaking the rules. But what children connect with is curiosity, empathy, compassion and that that level of, oh, I wonder why that is. I wonder what you were doing there. I wonder what that was about. Yeah. Do you know what I'm thinking of is how we condescend to parents as well. Mm-hmm. The, the, the number of podcasts and, and articles I've seen which are basically have the should word all over it. Parents should be doing this and they shouldn't be doing that. Well, that's, that's difficult, Jess, when, you know, say, for example, Billy's mum, and I think this is in my first book, Billy's mum has just had uh, uh, Billy and she goes online and she's got 300 friends and they all tell her the latest research in how to bring up a baby. (laughs) But not only that, Billy's dad has 250 friends which have got contradictory advice to that that mum is getting. And it's no wonder, you know, that children are finding that they're getting lots of different ways of being parented. Plus, if the health visitor turns up and they've just read an article on Facebook that isn't actually robust research, it's just somebody's opinion, that can also influence what's happening. And I think this is this has been the last 10 years. When people talk about information overload, I'm not looking at the amount of information on the internet. I'm looking at what people have to sift out. Yeah. And it's difficult. It really is difficult. And, and I see this all the time with people who have dogs and people who have got 
I, I don't know, horses. And it, it it's applicable to every single part of our lives that there's always somebody out there telling us how we're not doing it correctly. Yeah, not doing it right. She says in air quotes. Interesting to see how far back it goes. It's not just like a recent problem. It's it's just slowly over time got worse and worse, but we're only kind of just realising now. Mm. So how does that feel for you, Elise, to know that that's the trajectory that maybe up until today's conversation, you, you had this thinking maybe that this was about all your adolescent years. How does that? How does this feel that there's probably stuff in, yeah. in the historic past? It's starting to make me question how much time I spent on my Nintendo now when I was younger. <laughs> that's, that's what's ruined how I look at technology and stuff now. But it's... I've started overthinking it. It's like, did I spend too much time on Club Penguin? Is that? Is that oh, you see, yeah, oh gosh, I remember that. <laughs> However, I, I do want to put a caveat in that actually, no parent is doing things badly, wrongly. That everybody is doing the best that they can with the tools that they've got until they know how to do better. And then once we know how to do better, let's do better. What a fabulous point to end on. Thank you so much, Kath. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the podcast and what an illuminating conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much to Kath Nibbs for joining us on the podcast. Just we saw a little glimpse right into her world, Mm. uh, working with young people and their experiences of technology, cyber trauma, uh, and just that huge conversation that we had. So, but I suppose did that ring for true for you, Ailish? Everything that Kath was talking about. Did do you see that in your world? I definitely see the attention span sort of things. Like I don't know if that's true for everyone. I certainly certain social medias have in the last few years have just kind of what I think has ruined my attention span. But maybe that's just I'm just not as got as much willpower to stay focused. <laughs> but I know for me and you know, for a lot of my friends, it is it's just so easy to get distracted by like just the smallest things now and then you just go down the rabbit hole of social media or youtube or tiktok and you just you're just off track and then it just takes so much to get back on track and focus and do something productive with your time. Yeah. I was self-reflecting on my parenting. When I, was <laughs> I was thinking, oh my goodness, was Psychoanalyzing I... Psychoanalyzing yourself. <laughs> like, like, Everything you do. What have I done to my children? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, I mean, there's so much there, you know, so much to think about and how we use technology. This idea of being purposeful as well. Yeah. You know, I really struggle with that. I um, Just everything across my life, I suppose, but trying to organise, manage my life and where technology kind of fits in that. Mm-hmm. It's not even just things like notifications. It's just, I suppose, just that sense that we always have too much to do. So much of that is related to technology, you know, whether it's emails or notifications or whatever it is. Everything's supposed to take longer than you expect. Yeah, no, I feel like that's different now, especially with all the COVID stuff. Everything's moved online. Mm. Now we just kind of just live here now. And everything to do with like your job, your work, uni, school, everything's just shifted so quickly. We don't really know how to do life without it now. And it's, it's just everything you need will be online but there's we don't know yet or at least I don't know how to do it in a productive way yeah it's the it's the it's the management of like of what Kath said of oh check your emails at a certain time and then maybe you have like a break during the day for social media and it's it's that kind of routine I've I've never been able to get into it because new year right new year's resolution there we go yeah yeah (laughs) 
I'll try my best. <laughs> Maybe last a week, but no, we'll you see can how do far this, that goes. Right? You can do this. I will make it happen, right? Mm, Positive mental yeah. speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Self-talk. Mm-hmm. Oh, my keep, goodness. Keep telling myself that I've posted notes everywhere. Reminding myself to get off my phone. So let's think about what are the big things, the key kind of takeaways then? Because it was like, I mean, we covered so much in that conversation. What do you think? What was the sort of number one thing, say, that stood out for you? I think it was the, Kath said, do the best you can with what you have. It was that the level of kind of empathy and understanding that we're all doing our best. There's no right or wrong way to mm. go about technology and our social lives and how it's all mixing. I think it was very nice to hear someone go, it's difficult, it's complicated, we're all trying our best. And it's just trying to do it as best we can without blame or pointing the finger, I thought was quite interesting to think about yeah it is such a good point because there's a lot actually of kind of moral high ground Mm -hmm. that's taken with tech isn't there about what you should and shouldn't be doing so i thought that was really interesting yeah yeah, yeah. for me the big point that came out was this idea that actually and it comes back to this idea of being purposeful if young people understand how the technology companies are manipulating them Mm -hmm. that just that knowledge in and of itself is going to change how they perhaps view their technology and make them more purposeful in what they're doing and just that kind of self-awareness I suppose I thought that was an interesting point to make yeah and all all it comes down to is communication it's having a clear line of communications with teachers with parents with professionals who deal with technology and letting everyone understand on like the same kind of level so it's not like one person saying this and the other person saying that and trying to balance them out I think the communication is just the best way forward Uh having an open conversation about everything so maybe it's more about making the spaces for the conversations Mm -hmm. yeah you know what I mean which takes time and whether it's in school yeah 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 how it's going to work it's just like you're your uh, Reggie teacher kind of dropping it into conversation at the start of the day and stuff like that and then you can take it to other classes to your friends back home Mm -hmm. and it's little things to start dropping kind of hints to the conversation and then having proper big ones like an assembly or at lunchtime or having a class just dedicated yeah a one-off kind of talk yeah I mean assemblies don't lend themselves so well to have conversations do no. they but certainly classroom conversations mm-hmm. and actually do you know that links very nicely into our safer internet day theme which is all about <laughs> listening to young people which is happening in February perfect so yeah having those conversations huge takeaway mm-hmm. good stuff I really hope this episode of Interface has been useful. You'll always find links in the show notes of these episodes to learn more about each topic. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app so episodes are automatically downloaded to your device when they are released. And we need your help. The more people that listen to Interface, the more chance we've got of being able to keep sharing the advice and support as we do. So please recommend us to a friend or fellow teacher. And you can find us on social media at SWGFL underscore official on both Twitter and Instagram. Interface is a podcast series from SWGFL, part of the UK Safer Internet Centre. This is Jess Macbeth with Ailish Hunter. Interface is produced by Caris Wall, with sound design by Joel Cox and original music from Alex Fraser. It's a bespoken media production. Produced by Bespoken Media.